Hello there, we are your host Vivek and Pavitra from the Agile Coach Podcast. In this podcast, we bring fresh perspectives to you through our interviews with thought leaders in Agile Coaching, facilitation, business analysis, and product management roles. Enjoy! So, Barb, let's talk about what, what are some things that Scrum Master shouldn't be and uh, shouldn't do, uh, or you would advise a uh, new Scrum Master not do. <laughs> Well, I can tell you some things I did when I was a new Scrum Master yep. that maybe weren't exact. So when I was a new Scrum Master, I had one team. Mm-hmm. It had nine people on them. And I had previously been on that team mm-hmm. uh, for a year. So I was now becoming their Scrum Master. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I did was I thought, well, you know, Scrum Master isn't going to take up all my time. So I'm just going to continue working on that team in my old capacity Mm. and work as a scrum master, Mm. which I thought was going to work really great. Yeah. Uh, But what happened was, you know, you find out when you're a scrum master that you have to be a neutral party. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing work for the team, Mm -hmm. I was almost leaning toward things that I wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, here's some things that I want to change for the team. Mm -hmm. So I was letting my scrum master kind of pull the team in that direction rather than being a neutral party. Yeah. And you you were a development manager at some point too. Was that before or I was not a development manager oh, at okay. any point. But thank you very much oh. for that vote of confidence. <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, one, one thing that I see is, you know, when I first learned Scrum, I would go to the team members and I would say, this is right and this is wrong. And, you know, one of the things that I realized when people kind of hear if they're wrong, they immediately shut down and there's no opportunities. Right. For it, you know, it's kind of everything shuts down. Um, so like not using those words. Uh, is something that I'm very um, mindful of. Anything else you can think of? Uh, I I think I had experiences with that too. Um, yeah. You know, if somebody would come up with an idea yeah. that I didn't think was quite right, my first word out of my mouth would be, no, that sucks. here's how we have to do it. Exactly. <laughs> and so I started to do some research and kind of brainstorming techniques on how to support a team and brainstorming and how, yeah. you know, it's pretty obvious that if you say no the first time, that's going to shut people down. Um, but also um, saying yes the first mm-hmm. time can also shut them down. If you mm. have a team of 10 people, yeah. and somebody comes up with an idea and it sounds pretty good and you go, great idea. Let's do that. Let's make a committee. Let's do it then you're missing everybody else's idea. You're missing the chance for that idea to be developed in a much better way. Mm -hmm. Maybe that person wasn't even that interested in that idea. It was just the first thing that they thought. And that's something people don't always think about is if you agree with the first thing and then move on, which I am, you know, very much a doer. I yeah. know you are as well. Yeah. You want to go. You want to mm-hmm. do stuff. Yep. It's hard to take time and go, well, let's hear everybody's idea. Then mm. we'll kind of modify it. Um, so but that's is, important too. Yeah. So this is the overly excited Scrum Master. Exactly. Yes to everything. And we talked about the controlling Scrum Master. Can you think of any other personas? Um, like, so I would say, you know, if you're looking at, a triangle and you have controlling over here and overexcited over here over here you have is way too passive you know the scrum master that just stands back and thinks things and never says anything or um you know doesn't speak up or doesn't help coach Mm -hmm. you know i've actually coach scrum masters where after the first experience with them, I said, well, when are you going to start coaching them? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because there were some really great opportunities to Mm -hmm. at least 
you know, even just encourage yeah. them, even at the end, instead yeah. of saying, okay, we're done, Yeah. you know, you can say, I really liked the way you did this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and encourage them. So you also have to be very much participatory and yeah. kind of, you know, especially as an agile coach where I have six teams, it's, I'm not really part of that team, but I can definitely be yeah, they're really good friend. As you are growing in your agile journey, what are you doing to become a better coach or, or mentor to your team and your organization? I think part of it is having the courage to have a crucial conversation. Mm. Because uh, I, I mean, my my one of my weaknesses, I think, just naturally, is that I don't like conflict. <laughs> so reading crucial conversations helped, and I, I think that's kind of molded my views on it. But also, like setting up a a conflict resolution meeting or dealing with that is not like a natural strength. I've had to work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think over time, as I've grown and as a coach, is knowing how to work with each individual person in a very specific way, because the way that I coach and mentor one person might not be the way I mentor and coach someone else. Mm. And, and getting, I think part of that too, like foundationally, you have to have a relation, an individual relationship with everyone on your team. Mm-hmm. Like I ask them questions about their family. I know what they like to eat. I know what they like to do in their spare time. I took, I put a lot of effort and, and I invest a lot of time into getting to know them and showing them that I actually care about them as human beings mm. and learning that about them and asking them questions about, you know, how do they like to be communicated with? What are some of their pet peeves? And then kind of the combination of their answers and their, their mannerisms in meetings and one-on-ones allows me kind of that, that space to, to get to know them on a deeper level. And then I tailor the mentoring and coaching around that, you know, one person um, on the team might value a lot more direct communication mm-hmm. whereas someone else on the team might want empathetic communication yeah um, you know another person on the team might come to me just to vent about things and they don't want input and I need to read that because if I try to give them mentorship or coaching when they're not ready for it or where they don't ask for it mm-hmm. I, I don't think that builds a relationship I think that that puts distance between the mentor and the mentee right. so knowing knowing and recognizing it when and if someone is even um, ready and willing to be mentored is again, a little bit of a skill that, um, I've definitely paid attention to the last two or three months, but it's been on my mind for several years. Let's go into another topic, slightly, a slightly different topic, but you know, this is something, another thing that you're really passionate about. Uh, we actually facilitate this workshop around psychological safety. We did this over three hours, three <laughs> in-depth session, right? Yeah. So, um, for the audience listening, um, still as a scrum master um, from that stance, you know, kind of help us understand why is it important? Uh, Let's explore that first. And then we're going to go into how do you create that? Yeah. Um, So I'd say psychological safety, um, I'd say is definitely the number one thing that you want to build in a team. And it just manifests in so many different ways. Um, What it really means is for someone to feel included, for someone to feel like they can be their authentic selves, they can feel safe to say what is on their mind, 
um, mm. feel safe to be able to contribute in whatever way they're able to contribute, right? Um, and I'd say it's almost the foundation of what makes a team a team because mm-hmm. uh, trust, right? I mean, if you trust each other, then you can actually be really safe and you can say what's on your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think about a team that's coming together and you know they are on their journey to uh, mastery, right? It doesn't matter whether they're in the beginning or they're mature. Uh, it doesn't really matter because no matter what type of team you are, no matter where you are in your journey, if you're not working on building trust, you're not really a team. Right. Right. So um, if you can't lean on each other, if you can't ask for help, you're not really a team. And how that breaks down is if that team is working on an initiative and, um, you know, they're a simple thing, like maybe something the product manager said rubbed you the wrong way, or maybe another team member, you know, the way they, approached a problem wasn't the perfect way, but you have a better idea, but you don't have the courage to say it because you're not sure if it's good Mm -hmm. enough. You're not sure if it'll be uh, received well. Um, And if you don't have the courage to say that, then what happens is that hinders the team from doing amazing things, right? So um, lack of trust ultimately comes to the team not being comfortable to have those conversations where true collaboration really happens and it impacts the work that you do. So I feel like Mm -hmm. that's like the foundation of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And Google did the study in 2012, 2013 um, with like 180 teams. And they were trying to figure out in their organization, what makes a team high-performing? What are the things that high-performing teams really value? And the number one thing is psychological safety. Yeah. So it's it's just so powerful because without that you don't really have a team. <laughs> As a non-technical scrum master, yeah, how do you how do you navigate things and you know how has that played for you? You know, coming from non yeah uh, non coding back non non technical background. Yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, the most coding that I ever did in my day was on MySpace. For anyone out there, you MySpace. get me? Yeah, putting up your tap songs <laughs> and. <laughs> your skins and totally making the, yeah, I mean, I used to spend hours doing that, but that's like all of the background of coding that I have. And (laughs) honestly, I was copying and pasting from Google. So um, I don't think that qualifies. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I grew up mostly with a retail background. I've done a lot of customer service in multiple different industries. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done some business analyst work, Um, wasn't a technical business analyst. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've really had to work on this area of yeah. not being intimidated, intimidating and realizing we all have our own strengths. Mm-hmm. We all have, all have our own skill sets that we bring to the table. And I've just really worked on leaning into those mm-hmm. versus focusing on what I don't have. Mm-hmm. And what that's allowed me to do is it's one brought to fruition more of a growth mindset that, Mm -hmm. hey, if I feel challenged with, you know, teams talking about Java, teams talking about loopback, teams talking about UI, API, all these new things that are going on, you know, talking about CI, CD, pipeline, all these things that I'm like, what the heck is going on? 
you know, but it's amazing when you have that mindset of, okay, I see a challenge yes. instead of running away from it of actually being like, okay, yeah. I don't know this. Yeah. I'm an imperfect human being, but I'm willing to learn. Yes. And by actually vocalizing that with my team, with, with the product owners that I've worked with of, hey, I don't understand this, but I'm willing to, to do what I need to do to understand this or what piece of this do I need to understand? All those yes. kinds of things. Yes. And having open conversations about where my head's at and what's making me feel anxious, what's making me feel nervous. Again, yeah. again all back to vulnerability, yes. really. Um, yes. So building allies by actually, you know, asking, you know, telling, you know, product folks, you know, QA folks or developers and asking them, hey, like, you know, I, I don't understand this stuff. Exactly. I need to learn. Um, so that, that's great instead of like, feeling like imposter and like not communicating and like trying to hide it. So that like, <laughs> it took uh, a outward approach and just like, Owned it. Yeah. Owned yeah. it. So that's, that's amazing. I think a lot of people are scared to say like, oh, I don't have that experience yeah. or, but I feel like the more that we can just put it, lay it all on the table, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. for me at least, it, yeah. it's worked in my favor. Let's kind of explore, um, you know, when you go into the new team, you know, how do you go about preparing um, before you go into, how do you show up in the team in the first 60 to 90 days? So what are some things that you do? to set yourself up for success as a scrum master and also to be of the most value to the team. I think it's important to understand when to observe and when to lead. Mm. And, and it was difficult for me to pick up again. It's a little bit of an art form but sometimes the team needs a leader to step in and say, Hey, we've been on this topic for a long time. Mm. You know, let's move on. Let's parking lot it. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes there's awkward silence where a leader needs to step in and facilitate a conversation. Mm -hmm. However, there's also another side of that where if the team is communicating and maybe there's some tension, it can be really easy if you don't like tension and you don't like healthy conflict or conflict at all to step in and try to mitigate it. When sometimes as a scrum master, you have to observe and say, you know, this is, it's maybe borderline. It's not disrespectful. It's opinionated. It's tense, but it's still in that realm of healthy. Mm -hmm. And if, if I step in and bring my bias mm -hmm. and make a decision for the team, then they're going to be less capable of making decisions on their own in the future. And I've butted heads with project managers on this in the past where they are, they quite literally tell me when I start my role that, yeah, you need to come in and the team is dysfunctional. You need to make decisions for them. Mm. And, and I haven't said like, no, I'm not going to do that. I've nodded my head and been respectful and said, yeah, you know, think about that as, as the next time that I'm in a meeting. But then when it happens, right, I have to have enough um, yeah. courage to say, you know, this is, it's tense. It makes me feel uncomfortable, but the team is still communicating. There's still progress. And I would much rather have the team come up with their own solution and force them to do that versus me make it, making a decision for them. Because my goal as a scrum master is to not be needed. If my right. team is so high performing and so self-organizing and I can remove myself from it, I think mm -hmm. that's where you start to differentiate the good scrum masters from the great scrum masters. Jeff, so our audience is, uh, you know, somebody who's really curious to learn, okay, how does um, scrum scale in, in a company, right? And this is about, okay, there's a company like CUNA Mutual or SSM, which is in Wisconsin, right? So there, there are already 5,000 people 
uh, and then company decides to go agile and they actually start out with scrum so in that context like how would you um, help somebody new understand you know what are those scaling scrum practices yeah so i think there's there's some main um rules of thumb when we're going to start to scale scrum mm-hmm. and so if you remember these relationships it'll help you when mm-hmm. you have one we have when you have one product you have one product owner mm-hmm. um you have one product backlog got you you have one to many teams mm-hmm. you have one definition of done and you have one done increment one done product at the end so then the next question that people often ask is mm-hmm. okay so what is a product Mm-hmm. And that's the where you're. That's where most people go wrong is they define their product very narrow, and maybe not even wrong. They just are optimizing for something maybe that that they don't know they're optimizing for. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a very narrow product definition, mm-hmm. just say your product is something. It's just this one little application or one little thing inside of it. Um, you're gonna at some point. The, the yeah. companies need to allocate dollars to say, how much are we investing in this thing? Right. And then when something like COVID happens and you say, yeah. oh my gosh, this plan we made for the whole year needs to get thrown out the window. It right. makes it very difficult to move that money around, move the teams around to say, now we need to work on this. Now we need to work on that. Right. Uh, and it doesn't have to be COVID. It can be, um, there was a company I worked with and uh, there was a major vendor that they had. And uh, basically once they, they came to them, I don't know, maybe it was March or something like that. And mm-hmm. right after, you know, they did all their yearly planning that they normally did. And mm-hmm. they and they said, oh, we're not going to be able to uh, accept payments for you. And this is a, you know, Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. And they're like, so they, this whole process isn't going to work. Well, there's going to be no cash flow coming in in November if we don't get this thing fixed. Well, mm-hmm. and the way they used to work, it might have taken three to six months to even put a team around that because you would have had to, like, fight to find some people that actually could work on this problem. Well, yeah. if you just have problem-solving teams, you just say, hey, this is now the number one thing in the backlog. Yeah. Teams A, B, and C, you're working on it because you're the teams that are available and start mm-hmm. and start tackling this thing and, and figure it out. And so yeah. that gives you a lot more flexibility as an organization to respond to change. Right. And, and so that's um, those are the, that product definition is always a tricky thing, mm-hmm. but I always look at a couple factors and it's I look at the code bases. So where's our dependencies between the code when we're developing, if this is a software product? Mm-hmm. I look at who are the people that are actually doing the work. Mm-hmm. If we think that we really have, we call them projects or products, but they're really their projects. And mm-hmm. they're really the same people, but we're splitting them across five different things and wanting to work on all the same time. Yeah. They say, hey, you know, you know, I need your help working on this thing. And you're like, no, no, that's my Tuesday thing. It's Wednesday. You have to wait till Tuesday to come back and work on me. Uh, yeah. with me. Like that delays everything a week, right? Like those types of things happen. So why yeah. don't we just stack and rack all those things into one list and just say, mm-hmm. this is our broader product and here's how we deliver business outcomes. Um, I always think of it as a, a product. Um, I also look at customers. Who, who do you actually buy as your product or mm-hmm. who uses your product? And you should align around those types of people as well. And think about right. what what people outside your organization would call your product. Mm. So think about it outside in, not inside out. When you're in an organization, a lot of times yeah. something feels like a product, but it's really not a product to anyone outside. You should right. almost be able to put a P&L around any project you have. Yeah. And own separate profit and loss center is what you should be able to put mm-hmm. around it, right? Yeah. What are some challenges that you see uh, teams come across as they're 
uh, trying to start with Scrum Bomb? Let's say they have decided, okay, we're going to do Scrum Bomb. What, what kind of challenges or pitfalls that you tell people to avoid? Sure. So there are two really, really common misconceptions. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, while some of the people who developed Scrum Band, like Corey Lattice, um, did a phenomenal job. And if you listen to, um, or, or, you know, you watch Heinrich Nyberg's videos um, or read what he's written, they've got some really great information. Yeah. Um, if you just search for Scrum Band, what you'll find is some really common misconceptions, yes. such as that Scrum Band is essentially iterationless Scrum, which isn't true. Like if you actually read the, the, the original paper on Scrum Band written by Corey Lattice, you'll see, like he, he actually says, um, He's, he's, he, he, the very first example he has in there is, a, is an, iterative, an iterative process that has a time box iteration and planning, just like with Scrum, but it's also set up a pull system. Like Scrum Band definitely has iterations unless you explicitly don't want iterations in it. Um, right. But people think, and the reason people might, uh, gravitate towards that misconception is that they, um, that is that they, uh, Iteration is hard. Iteration is where you, when you don't build something, you have to look at users in the eye and say, yeah, we didn't build it. Where yeah. your users are going to come back to you and tell you to change direction and changing direction can be hard. Yeah. You have to construct, that's where you confront the truth of your, the truth. And it's a lot easier, especially in the command control system, to push that truth off six months down when you're doing a review. Mm. And then, then everything's blurred so no one really takes the blame. So calling someone, hey, you can use this thing called Scrum, Scrum, called Scrum Band, which basically means take away all the iterations. People right. say, yes, I want that, because that's the hard part. Right. Well, it's just, that's not true. That's not what Scrum Band is. So that's one of the, one of the challenges. And the other challenges that, that I find is um, when you have uh, Scrum Band is, is kind of a system of project management. Mm. Like where you say, well, what this is, is you, you look at a Kanban board with all those columns, it really looks like a task board. A task board is a product owner, a product and project management tool. You move tasks across it. That's not what a Scrum Band, a Kanban board is for. A Kanban board is a visualization tool to help you visualize your workflow and discover more parts of more things about it and figure out where to put and impose with limits. Mm -hmm. That's not for project management. But it's really, really easy. And you know, especially if you go into Jira and you create a new Kanban board. That's, you've created a project management tool mm. and you move items around and it's, it's really, really easy to look like, look at a Kanban board and say, well, Kanban, that's a project management tool. Kanban is just about project management. It really isn't. It's about process improvement. Scrum right. is about project management and product development. That's mm. why Ken Schwaber's book from the nineties is called Agile Project Management with Scrum. Mm. Um, it's, that's not all that Scrum is about, obviously, but that is a major component of it. Right. And so those two misconceptions, Scrum Band as project management and Scrum Band as just iteration with a Scrum, those are, if you search online and read a lot about Scrum Band, you're going to find that that's what a lot of things tell you. And those things are not true. And that's yeah. so a, a starting point for, for getting for the, like a big roadblock, big stumbling block for teams is getting past those major misconceptions. A lot of the, the audience for us are... Uh, developers, business analysts, product owners, and Scrum Master who might or might not know the Scale Agile framework. So let's just look at it from a, uh, a facilitator, coach, Scrum Master's perspective. What does What is the difference between a Scrum Master who's worked on a Scrum framework and then now they're in the Scale Agile framework? What do they need to know? Uh, a regular Scrum Master to a Scrum Master in safe. Mm, yep. 
well scrum master is scrum master 100% right what happened unfortunately you know let, let me say this people who you learn from matters a lot now when 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 there's a lot of buzz going on that safe is bringing a lot of hierarchy again mm. people fail to understand it's not positional hierarchy it's functional hierarchy so which is which has nothing to do with how the people structure is in the organization mm. if they fail to understand that they feel that a regular scrum master and a scrum master in safe has different responsibilities scrum master is a scrum master asset and safe also says scrum master is a servant leader he is a coach scrum master should lead the team by an example that's it 100% now unfortunately what's happening is scrum masters in safe who are adopting safe are being termed as or being are being looked upon to be again uh, the project managers mm. who really require skills to drive the team uh, yeah. and, and be aware of all this uh, work actual work going on mm-hmm. take the status reports do weekly status reports and all right. so what's happening is people are expected in safe framework uh, when we say scrum master to be ring masters right no that's wrong scrum master is scrum master and there is a reason why they are called scrum master mm-hmm. right uh, scrum master is a master in scrum values that's gotcha. right yep so he his sole responsibility is to make sure that the team he is associated with mm-hmm. is living these values the scrum values only then the team can get better perfect right yeah. so mm-hmm. safe has nothing to do with the responsibilities scrum master is not different the only aspect which i see as a additional thing to the scrum master is the collaborative aspect mm. the scrum master is a, because see a traditional scrum master if you talk about a scrum master at a team level only he should be very transparent he should be very collaborative with the team members of his own team mm-hmm. when it come when we talk about safe safe is bringing multiple such agile teams mm. which means multiple such different scrum masters mm. onto one platform right right so the scrum master in safe has an additional responsibility mm-hmm. to demonstrate the quality of collaborative effort right so there is a little extra there is a lot of collaboration aspect uh uh put on to the scrum master catch you he needs to bring in all the teams together he needs to make sure his team members are collaborating well with other team members because it's again you know now see now it becomes every team becomes a team member in the program right yeah because when when i was a you know scrum master for a regular scrum team uh there was like a big room planning but it wasn't really structured and people kind of did whenever it was suitable uh sometimes they didn't do it um and there was no no structure but now you're saying a scrum master he or she in the safe team 
uh, now has additional responsibility in terms of collaborating with another six to eight teams. Exactly. Uh, part of that uh, part of that program or the train, and there are facilitation and coordination and uh, exactly. bridging the bridging the gap in communication. Uh, exactly. exactly. So there is some workshops. When when we talk about collaboration qualities of a scrum master in safe, it mm. involves a lot of facilitation skills. Right. And it's just not about him to collaborate with other team members or other teams. It is also his responsibility to make sure that his team members are collaborating with other team members. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's again a coaching standpoint. I mean, the, when we talk about collaboration point, uh, it's more of um, he being a, um, um, what do you say, uh, another high level coach. Just not confined to the team, but also making sure that his own team is collaborating with other team members too. There's this concept, obviously, in safe or just in agile that I really, really like is, uh, or even one of the safe principle um, unlocking the what is it called? Intrant, intrant. Yeah, yeah, of your, your of the uh, knowledge workers, and you know, a lot of times there's managers and directors and executives and different. Um, different people now they're good at that yes. because you're a manager you're a director yeah. you're you know certain yeah. leadership position but you're not in the day-to-day -day, in and out actually doing the work you don't know what solutions to come up with yeah that's why you have hired all these you know engineers developers who know what they're doing um maybe let's let's talk a little bit about that like how do you how do you help just organizations kind of do that a little bit because um, you know, if you are a dev manager, maybe you've been a developer before and maybe you have some advice for your developers, that's great. But a lot of times, like, you probably became a manager because you have some, some leadership skills or, you know, you've been in the company for some time and now you're like a manager, right? So how do you um, take that out of your workers, you know, out of the developers? Yeah, so um, I think there's two parts, right? The developers, I think just giving them the space Mm -hmm. um, and then coaching them, teaching them, right? Mm -hmm. As a scrum master, you're really, you're teaching them first, right? Yeah. Saying, hey, this is some of the other things that you're not just, you're not just, hey, I know how to do this particular language anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Part of Agile is we want a more self-managing, self-organized team, right? right? So what does that really mean? That the, you know, the developer cares more than the individual task they assign. Yeah. They care about what product they're building, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're going. Yeah. They care about the requirements, if it's clear or not. They care about the dependencies. Mm -hmm. They care about the process as a whole, yeah. right? So I think if you have someone, you, you come into an environment where someone's not at that level, mm -hmm. I think you have to do uh, individual coaching mm -hmm. and team coaching. Right. And you also have to do individual teaching and then maybe, you know, team level teaching and trainings that you're going to have to continue to do right. to help them get there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's what you have to do for developer. And then create them, give them the space to do that. Right. Encourage them, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a role, hey, once once a sprint, we're going to do a rotation and actually the developer is going to run the daily stand-up. One, one person. Right. So you ha you help them develop these other skill set so then they're now a lot more, there's a lot more buy-in. Yeah. to the team. It's a lot more buying in what they're Because they feel valued. They feel valued, yeah. Right. Yep. 
Um, second thing is I always like to uh, make sure that the teams are appreciated and you actually have metrics for team happiness. Right. Because if you focus on the team happiness, obviously if the team is happy, they're working yeah. well together, mm-hmm. they're going to get over more value. No brainer, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, you know, uh, a lot of companies don't really focus on these metrics, but I think measuring the team happiness from sprint to sprint, mm-hmm. right? It allows you to assess if someone's not happy in the team, what reason, right? It allows you to assess that and work with that person. Right. And so I think this is a way that you can start to uh, make sure that there's more motivation and more happiness within the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when it comes to management and leadership, I think it just depends. I've been in those environments where the managers are so command and control. <laughs> and from a scrum master perspective, I've had, I felt almost powerless yeah. uh, to, to, to my ability to make that influence and change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, was, it was a slow progress. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. but I also been in these organizations where uh, we've had success with that, and um, you know, all the managers are very hands off, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think it's about helping them understand. Right, the managers have maybe been working in the same environment. Yeah. So if you're in a position to coach them, I think you coach that. Mm-hmm. If you're not, and you're in a scaled agile environment, maybe that's those are the things you bring to the RTE. Right. Those are the things you bring up. Like sometimes it's about having the courage to say, this is not working. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Sometimes you have to be able to have these hard conversations. Absolutely. And I think sometimes people shy away from that. But I think that's where a lot of the learning and the transformation happens if we can address these topics.